0: Welcome to the Keystone Kickoff Show, brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at keystonesportsnetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone.
1: Hello and welcome to the Keystone Kickoff Show. I am Jim Galante. He's Andrew P. Shea, and this is quarter number one of our show. Andrew P, how are you doing today, my friend? Ready to talk some Penn State football?
2: Oh, good, Jimmy. Welcome to the long off season officially, right? Like mid-January to sort of end of July is kind of off season. So <clears throat> we got a lot ahead, but plenty of plenty of Penn State football to talk about, obviously.
1: We do. There, There is no such thing as off-season with college football. Lots of Penn State news going on, a lot of national news. Let's get right to it. Let's get to the news. On Monday night, Andrew, starting with the national picture, Georgia reminded us why they are the best team in the country.
2: Yeah, that was um, that wasn't even competitive to a degree. I mean, by the middle of the first quarter you're like, is this the handwriting on the wall or is this just one team trying to figure out if it can find its sea legs and while well, the other one knows exactly what is required at this level? And it turns out that it was just the handwriting on the wall for what was to come. Um, I kind of felt bad for TCU in in one respect that they kind of, they sabotaged themselves a little bit and then Georgia was just blood shark in the water from the jump. I mean, they were so ready um, for that game and TCU never sort of created an opportunity for itself to be part of the party and Georgia made sure that they stayed there. Um, So that was a two way street. They they never really mustered enough to counter punch and, you could kind of see it coming a little bit if if I thought it would look this way, to be honest with you, because the the indicators for me, you know, despite what happened in the Michigan game, TCU's quarterback didn't play that well. And I'm like, he's got to play really well against Georgia's defense. And he didn't play that well against Michigan, but they got away with it. And he was not very good again against Georgia, Max Duggan. So You know, they had the injury at running back. Their defense wasn't as good as, you know, it was a Big 12 defense. End of story, right? Like, eh, they kind of looked like a Big 12 defense most of the season anyway. So, and Georgia's not going to let you sprinkle magic dust and not let you hang around in a game so that you could come back on them like TCU was prone to do. Georgia's not going to let you do that. So, yeah, they solidified themselves as the elite team in college football in 2022
1: they did and I think we ought to be careful though not to overjudge TCU on this game right. any more than we should judge Penn State by the Michigan game alone sometimes exactly. a game can just get out of hand and that's what happened here let's uh, let's talk about Penn State the final AP poll came out they finished 7th they're a top 10 team and I don't care how you judge the season. Yes, you want to take the next step to get to the playoffs, which means beating Michigan and/or Ohio State. But considering this was a team that wasn't even ranked when the season started, to finish top ten—good season for Penn State.
2: Great season for Penn State, Jimmy. It's it's sort of like you know. I mean, not only were they, yeah, you're correct. They were not a ranked team coming into the season they were a non-ranked team that had to change a narrative right like they had had back-to-back mediocre slash poor seasons they were you know they had fallen off a cliff in 2021 they were 5-0 falling off a cliff clifford clifford got injured in that iowa game and then they were just exposed big time and they had a lot more questions to answer than were they a top 25 team. And boy, not only did they answer them, they, you know, outside of the Michigan game, they provided a sort of emphatic answer, in my opinion, capped by, you know, the Rose Bowl and how they performed. And the, it was just a continuation of the last month of the season. And that's not as easy to do as you think it. It is with three, four weeks off, you know, so I I thought it was a great season because of the answer, the, the back-to-back mediocre seasons. And this is your answer. Sean Clifford threw the pick six against Purdue, right? Changed the game, sudden turn. Okay, Sean, what's your answer? Well, you found out what his answer was. He, like a surgeon and probably the best drive of his entire career, took that team down the field and won the football game. That's an emphatic answer. And I think the 2022 season, while being careful not to put too much stake into it, like a one-year wonder, right, Jimmy? I still think as a program, it was an emphatic answer.
1: Let's take a look at some of the uh, personnel things that are going on. We are right smack in the middle of that transfer portal season. And Penn State got some interesting news this week. First, Devin Carter, wide receiver from NC State, committed to Penn State. It was the day of the Rose Bowl. Apparently, he enrolled at Penn State, all of those things. Hadn't been to Penn State, came in last weekend for his visit, and 48 hours later, he's a West Virginia Mountaineer. Yeah. No real official word came out of why or what happened. But I think, Andy, is this not a case where we're probably going to see more of this type of thing, where it's almost like a shotgun marriage, everything happens so fast, some of it sight unseen, and teams haven't had the ability yet to vet players, whether it's academic, personality, NIL, who knows, I don't have any inside information that it's any of those issues, Andy, but... You put two and two together, you start to think of these things.
2: Yeah, so it's funny you say the two and two together. The way I kind of look at the way this went down and, you know, yeah, right now, as of today, he's, you know, his official transfer is going to West Virginia. It it was always like two plus two equaled five from from maybe from his perspective with the university. It seemed like maybe there was something with him being a student and classes starting. I don't know any, I think, you know, I don't have any inside information like you. And then from Penn State's perspective, maybe it was one, it seemed a little bit of one plus one equals three for him, the player, and does he fit and what he's look, what they're looking for out of the transfer portal. Maybe his commitment at the, you know, right before the Rose Bowl kind of surprised them a little bit, maybe, but like it, none of the dots connect. So two plus two equals five and one plus one equals three on both sides. And it seems like, Maybe this was a mutual decision. I don't know. But either way, he's going to West Virginia. He's not going to Penn State. And Penn State is still an active, active, active wide receiver transfer portal shopper.
1: And it, there seems to be no doubt. I mean, Penn State coaches have even said they want to bring in two wide receivers. And you get the feeling that one of them is going to be a big guy. One of them's not. They want to hit like both uh fill both roles and maybe Penn state decided there's somebody else that they want. And by coincidence, another name came up of a big guy in comparison to Devin Carter, but the, also the other name that's been around since the beginning of talking about uh, wide receivers coming in, in the portal is Dante Cephas who's yep. from Kent state. And we've heard this name from the beginning But it seems like there's also things going on there where it appears he may end up back at Kent State. Maybe it's uh, credits transferring, that type of issue, that he might be back in the portal at the end of the spring semester.
2: Yeah, it seems like he's not going to transfer now. I I think he can obtain his degree from Kent state. So he's going to go back. It seems like he's going to go back and do that. So I I think he wanted to transfer now, but I think there were some stickiness with it that if he gets his degree, it becomes more crystal clear and easier path for him, it seems. And I mean, he'll miss spring ball. I don't, I don't think he'll do spring ball with Kent state. If he's just there as, as a student and intends to transfer, And I think he will be open again. And he is sought after by other schools. Pitt is definitely um, going after him hard for sure, as well as Penn State. But um, I I think he comes back and he is a more open transfer and a more available transfer possibility in the spring window. And I I don't think Penn State's going to cool on him. Absolutely. They might even still get a couple transfers or have a couple commits. They might even take three wide receivers if he is the one because he has been a guy that has been high on their list from the beginning.
1: And the other name to be aware of is a Tyrone Broden from Bowling Green. He's another big receiver, 6'5", 6'6", whatever he is. Um, he was supposed to make an announcement this week, ended up delaying that announcement. Penn yep. State's in the middle of the mix there, so... Did that have something to do with Carter? Again, it, it's all a mystery, Andy, and we won't know until we know, I, I think is the bottom line to it. In some other news with a Penn State players, I think it's worth noting the players that make the announcement that they're going to stick around in the past week or so Penn State has heard from Adisa Isaac sticking around and now Curtis Jacobs has decided to stick around. I think for Jacobs a, a good decision for him to come back Andy. Huge
2: huge first position first year in this in a new position first year as a full-time starter, right? I I I know Abdul Carter, love him, flash freak worthy of wearing number 11, but I think the sidecar of Curtis Jacobs and sort of how he developed in that full-time role of that new position as that linebacker, very, very important for what – uh, the ability for sort of, you know, Manny Diaz to unleash Abdul Carter. Part of that was – part and parcel of that was with the work that and what Curtis Jacobs did. I thought he was quietly a really, really sort of – important part of this defense that wasn't sort of splashing and flashing, you know, like he had the year before in his, in his part-time role, but I think he was quietly exceptionally solid and kind of was improving and getting a little better. And you could see like next level starting to, to show from time to time. And I think one more year college football will definitely help his, his draft stock.
1: And he showed the ability to bounce back and forth to both sides, both positions at linebacker, which allowed them to unleash Abdul Carter, which may be the most important part of the whole equation there in what Curtis Jacobs was able to contribute. All right, Andy, that's it for quarter number one. Stick around. Quarter number two, we're going to take a look at the national picture and what's going on there. Stay tuned for that. for daily coverage of the school, team, and place you love.
5: What defines the special spirit of Penn State? Why Penn State, by author Greg Woodman, looks to Happy Valley in the 1980s for answers. Featuring rare photos, original essays, and exclusive interviews with Coach Paterno, this beautiful 256-page full-color hardback edition explores the why behind we are. It's chicken soup for the Nittany Lions' soul and makes the perfect gift for any Penn Stater in your life, including you. Order today at whypennstate.com. It's quarter number two on the
0: Keystone Kickoff Show. Brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at keystonesportsnetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone.
1: Welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. It is quarter number two. I'm Jim Galanti along with Andrew P. Shea. And our show is brought to you by 409tailgateclub.com. The place to go when you're looking for your barbecue sauces, your barbecue rubs. Don't forget the Bloody Mary mix. And also among their rubs, the new barbecue coffee rubs or coffee barbecue rubs. They are fantastic. Both Andy and I could attest to that. Go to 409tailgateclub.com. Order any of their stuff. It's all fantastic. All right, Andy. Let's move on. As promised, a deeper look at the national picture. We alluded to Georgia's win in quarter number one in the national championship game where they just rolled everybody. Uh, Well, they rolled TCU. They had the close game in the semifinal, of course. But the, the lone standing, undefeated team, they are without a doubt the number one team. Forgetting the polls for a second, in your mind, who's the second best team in the country?
2: So I will ask you, do you want a short answer, Jimmy, or do you want me to elaborate on my answer? I I
1: don't need you to pontificate, Andy. Give me the short answer. It's Michigan. Really?
2: Yes. It's Michigan. Yep. They beat Penn State. They beat Ohio State. They won the Big Ten Championship over Purdue. Yeah, I know they lost to TCU, and Ohio State played Georgia tough, but... And, and could have won the game, and but, you know, who did Ohio, Ohio State? They, they lost to Michigan. They lost to Georgia. Their best win was Penn State. They beat Notre Dame to open the season. Other than that, you know, they lost two of their three biggest games. They lost to Michigan, and they lost to Georgia. The only really, quote-unquote, big game that they beat team that they beat was Penn State and that was a tractor pull that took you know a a, you know a 44 wrecking a a football game one player wrecking a football game it took for Ohio State to beat Penn State in the end at the end of the day because we've said it before for better part of three quarters you could argue that Penn State was the better team that day so Michigan has more meat on their bone I they both lost in the college football playoffs so I I went with Michigan.
1: I think that's a good call, Andy. And I believe if you look like you did at the quality of wins, and if you jump around to some of the other teams, I know there'll be a lot of people who would advocate for Alabama. Alabama doesn't have any great wins. And remember, they're in the Southeast Conference, but they pretty much never play Georgia uh, in a cross-rivalry game. And their big games, they lost. Plus, there were a couple games that were much closer than they sh- they should have been with their wins. Let's talk about where Penn State fits in this entire picture. Which, at the end of this season, uh, th- they were ranked seventh in the AP poll. I'll go by that. We're seeing a lot of these, a lot of enthusiasm for this Penn State team for next year, and that they're going to be a much better team and all that. The interesting thing is the predictions are they're pretty much going to end up where they did this year, you know, in those way early preseason polls, fifth, sixth, seventh, and Michigan and Ohio State are still ranked ahead of them. Are we in a situation for Penn State to dent that national picture, Andy? It still comes down to exactly what it did this year. Michigan and Ohio State, they got to beat them. It's, it's in the James Franklin
2: era. It's been about Ohio state and then Michigan, mostly Ohio state and beating Ohio state and the inability to beat Ohio state except once on a block field goal return. Um, I mean the, the, the preseason, the way too early preseason poll looks like is kind of almost identical to the, you know, to the end of this year only removing TCU from number two and bumping them down a little further and then just moving everybody else up one, Tennessee, Alabama, Michigan, and Ohio State are two and three, three and two. However you want to look at it, you know, they're in the Big Ten East. I can't say that enough. We can't say it enough. Guess what? Look who's in your conference. Not only are they in your conference, they're in your division. So guess who you get to play again in 2023? So it's an, it is a unique opportunity though. If, 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 if Penn State can win one or God forbid, both of those games, that is their opportunity. Like it's right in front of them. They don't need sort of outside help or they don't have to win their conference championship. Although you kind of need to win your conference championship, but Michigan and Ohio State are right there in front of you, and they're going to remain right there in front of you probably for the foreseeable future, even when the Big, Big Ten switches up in 2024 and brings in more teams and eliminates the divisions. It's always going to be about Michigan and Ohio State when it comes to Penn State, and can they take that next step?
1: Who's the better program right now, Michigan or Ohio State?
2: Ooh, um, uh, Wow, Well, they both. Michigan's lost back to back in the college football playoffs. Oh, that's a good question, Jimmy. Um, I, I on a one game wonder, like who could play the best on a given day, I'd say Ohio State. Who would you take over eight weeks? I would take against you know more if you line them up and play the same quality schedule. In one game, I'd take Ohio State against anybody because of the talent. Over an eight-week span against a pretty, if you'd say, a rugged schedule where you have a medium team and a couple hard teams and one killer game, I'd take Michigan in that scenario. I really would.
1: One thing that Michigan has going for them that not many of these other top teams have is their quarterback is coming back. That's not the case that Georgia... It's not the case at TCU, not the case at Ohio State, not the case at Alabama, not the case at Penn State. And that's another discussion. I get that. But I look at that as Michigan's advantage over Ohio State next year. On the flip side, the disadvantage is, is Jim Harbaugh going to come back to coach Michigan or not?
2: Yeah, that's a a who knows. Because it's kind of like he... Says he's not going to dip his toe back in the water. Then he dips his toe back in the water. It's it's very interesting, that part of it. Tennessee, throw Tennessee in there for not having their quarterback back as well, Jimmy. That Michigan has a huge advantage at one position, albeit, yes, I concede to you the most important position on the field in college football. The quarterback is really a game changer. Uh, We've seen sort of what Georgia does with a walk-on quarterback and how they can elevate him. We've seen what Ohio state can't do with an elite quarterback. CJ Stroud elite, definitely an elite quarterback, one big 10 championship last year in 2021 to show for it. That's it. That's it. One college football playoff appearance and a loss. So, you know, Michigan is at a huge advantage going into 2023 at the top end of the national picture because they have a quarterback. Does that mean that there aren't developmental quarterbacks at the other six schools? No, there are drew Aller included at Penn state is one of them, but Michigan's got a guy that's been there makes a big difference. And they play a little bit different style of football. They know exactly who they are and they can be more adaptive than you think than the, which they showed in the Ohio State game. Ohio State expected them to come out and run it down their throats, and they came out in that Ohio State game and said, young man, you, at quarterback, you are going to win or lose this game for us, and he took them to the promised land in outstanding fashion. So that is a big, big
1: advantage for Michigan. Andy, again, we're looking at the national picture here a bit. I want to ask you about the Pac-12. You've been an advocate of theirs all this season that – they may not have the elite team, but the depth of the Pac-12 is probably better than at the Big Ten. And as we talk about quarterbacks, um, I just read something about this and I, it made me go, oh yeah, I did not realize that. If you think about returning good quarterbacks, look at the Pac-12. Cameron Rising may not be a superstar, but coming back, yep. Michael Penix coming back, Bo Nick's coming back, Caleb Williams coming back, and DJ, I can't pronounce his last name from Clemson is transferring out there. So to a pretty good team. That looks like the uh the conference with the most good quarterbacks. Could you see someone from the Pac twelve taking that next step?
2: You have to wonder if the combination of what USC did in one year through the transfer portal and then being able to build a little bit with having the quarterback back through recruiting and using those young players is a recipe for success. I think the big 12, I mean, excuse me, the PAC 12 has changed its trajectory in 2022. Yeah. They, they, USC had opportunity and, Man, they even lost their bowl game in just stunning fashion with their quarterback playing probably one of the best most complete games you I saw any quarterback play in 2022 was what Williams did against Tulane in that game and they still lost the football game. I mean, that's that that is just stunning, but that's that's sort of the other side of the Pac-12 is yeah, they have all these quarterbacks back and they can play really well, but they're not structurally built to win sort of those tough games. They, they kind of proved that. Cameron Rising, I know he got hurt, but the writing was already on the wall. They weren't having any say in the outcome of the Rose Bowl against Penn State. Whether he got hurt or not, They didn't. he, he and that team did not have a say in that outcome of that game. Sorry, that's just the way it was. In the end, USC's quarterback played phenomenal, and they had no say in the outcome of that game. So it's a sticky part of the of the Pac-12 for me, but quarterback wise, at the most important position, they're stronger than most. They're set up better in 2023 than any
1: other Power Five conference in college football. The question now becomes for next year: where is Penn State at the quarterback position? Does Drew Aller give them that opportunity to reach that elite status? Is he the guy who could take them to a win? over Michigan, over Ohio State. And as we go into quarter number three and ask Andy, I got a feeling you folks are going to ask Andy if he sticks to his thoughts from last week when he said he thought Christian Hackenberg was better than Drew Aller. We're going to ask him in quarter number three. Stay tuned.
3: Hey guys, this is Andrew from 409 Tailgate Club here to talk to you about our new coffee barbecue dry rub set.
5: Let's get back to the action on
0: the Keystone Kickoff Show. Brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at KeystoneSportsNetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone.
1: Welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. I'm Jim Galante. I'm with Andrew P. Shea. It's quarter number three. That means it's time to ask Andy Brought to you by 409tailgateclub.com. This is our segment, Andy, where we take questions from our listeners. If you want to ask a question of Andy, just download our app, search Keystone Sports at the App Store. You'll see the Ask Andy tab, hit it, and you could ask a question of Andy. At the end of the segment, Andy's going to pick out the best question, and you will win a prize pack from 409 tailgateclub.com nice. and we are going to take a look at our questions here Andy and I am searching for a question that doesn't say Andy have you lost your mind thinking that Drew Aller is not as good as Christian Hackenberg just a quick sampling from you folks let's see um, somebody said they're gonna they f- almost fell out of their chair when you said that Right. Someone has said Aller comparable to Morelli and Hackenberg? How could you possibly say that? Um anyway, let's 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 give someone credit for the question. Let's go with Joe from Scranton, who says, Why would you think that Aller will not be as good as Hackenberg? Aller has better pocket presence, better feet, a quicker release, and can make all the throws. He led his team to a state championship with average talent around him. Andy, you are really way off base on this topic. I guess Joe isn't asking a good question. He's just making a statement, Andy. Yeah. There you right, go, Joe. my friend. Defend yourself.
2: Yeah. So I, I, uh, I was, I didn't know I would, I wasn't quite alarmed that I would take a beating. So in my mind, I started with, well, as prospects, what's the difference between the two, really? I, I didn't see – I don't see any difference of them looking at them as prospects. And I, they're both like – you know, they were both five stars. They were both, you know, you know, very high rated in their class, very high rated at their position. What's the difference in their potential? And, I mean, I'm glad you – I'm – i I'm a little more patient on what I saw out of Drew Aller. Did I like it? Yeah. Did it, did it raise any red flags? No, not really. But did I really see anything that made me have an opinion as to the future of him? No, I did not. I didn't see it enough or, you know, all right. I saw, yeah, I saw some good pocket presence. I saw a little some ability to deliver the ball, but the sample size was just, I'm not enough, not enough to that. I'm prepared to say that he's going to be better and throw for more than 8,500 yards and 50 some touchdowns. I, I, I just, I, I worry about the receiver position. They're shopping in the transfer portal like crazy. Christian had some pretty good receivers around him: Allen Robinson, Chris Godwin. Those guys are pretty good. He doesn't have receivers around him. Now he's got running backs. Well, Christian had some pretty good running backs, you know, with him as well. So he had that. Now, offensive line-wise, he took a beating. Penn State's offensive line seems to be structurally a little better just by a little bit. So I just – I didn't see enough that made me go like, oh, yeah, well, this kid definitely – and as recruits, I see them, I see them as the same prospects that that's my answer, Jimmy. I see him as the same prospect and I didn't see enough to make me go like, Oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, I'll be honest with you in all of the Drew Aller games. And I saw them and I watched them and I was like, yeah, this kid's got some serious, serious skills and tools, but you know, I could I, I even go back and say in one start now it was four quarters and everything. I kind of learned more about Christian Bayou as a quarterback in, in one start than I did in all the sort of, you know, little bit here and a little bit there of Drew Aller in 2022. And I'm impressed that he passed him on the depth chart. That was He did that for a reason. He became QB2 for a reason. That's a hell of a good start, but that's still not enough for me to say, oh, I think he's, you know, is he going to threaten, you know, is he going to be around for the sixth year, 24-and-a-half-year-old, to break Clifford's records, no. But his production could be really, really high. But
1: I got to see more. I got to know more. You know what, Andy? I'm going with Joe from scratch on this. <laughs> I, do, I was very disappointed in Christian Hackenberg. I realized the offensive line issues. But as you pointed out, he's had some Almost. really good receivers. Yep. And there were just some plays that you saw. Easy passes. Christian Hackenberg didn't make the play. He was very inaccurate. His attempt in the NFL went very badly. Just what Christian Hackenberg had going for him in my mind, he was a big, strong kid with a big, strong arm. And you can't coach those things. But he lacked in the other elements. And Joe brought up one other point which I thought was relevant as far as what kind of prospect they were coming out of high school. Drew Aller took his high school team and won, and it wasn't traditionally a great high school program. Christian Hackenberg, if you recall, with his high school program, they had a losing record with him at quarterback. Mm -hmm. And if you're a superstar, five-star quarterback, you should be able to elevate a high school team. That didn't happen. Now, I understand if you don't have the talent around you. I get that. But I still expect more out of a – out of a five-star quarterback in their high school days. Let's move on, Andy, although I don't think we'll we'll hear the end of that issue or that debate. Let's go to Rich in Tucson, Arizona, who says, how does the Rose Bowl win stack up against James Franklin's best wins at Penn State? Would you rank it in his top three? And if so, what order would you place those wins? Top three wins overall?
2: Is, is what the question was, yeah. or top three wins in bowl games?
1: No, just top three wins overall.
2: So I think the uh, beating Ohio State, the way they beat them, that is James Franklin's number one win. The way they thumped Michigan, and I can't remember the year, but it was the Saquon Barkley play where they did a quarterback and Trace wasn't a quarterback, and – in the beginning and they just stepped on them early. It was at Beaver stadium. Maybe it was 2018. Maybe it was 17. I can't remember where they just, they crushed Michigan at home and they beat them every which way and sideways. That would be number two. And I would put this one third. I think it is third. I I think Utah is a quality opponent. The Rose Bowl is a New Year's Six game. It's the Rose Bowl. I think there's that. And it's the way that they did it that they literally gave Utah very little and eventually no say in the outcome of this game. And when a score is close at halftime and it's 14-14 and you know that the die of the game has already sort of been cast, that Penn State was in complete control of that game except for the scoreboard and then they just went out and made it so, I don't think whether or not Cam Rising finishes that game matters. Really. I mean, think about it. Penn State took its foot off its offensive gas just because they they could. Imagine if they had to keep stepping on the gas, what that game might have looked like. So I think that was a very, very impressive performance. I would rank it third. It's a good question, Rich. Plus, it's not about Christian Hackenberg and Drew Aller. So... You get props for that one. Not that I don't like firing those fans up. I'm I was like, oh, really? They got really fired up about that? Good. Kinda cool. It did, wasn't my intention. You know,
1: <laughs> you know what, Andy? What I love about this Ask Andy segment is the listeners, they put you on the spot and I get a chance to disagree with you. <laughs> I think you forgot about the Big Ten championship game.
2: Yeah, no, I um I, I still think the Rose Bowl, I mean that was a fun football game to watch, but that was a 50-50 game. They didn't step on that game. And Ohio but State they just won. the way it ended. It was a great
1: game. They it won was- a championship. I would go beating Ohio State number one, Big Ten championship game number two, again, because that was a championship, and this Rose Bowl game number three. All well, the of Michigan them.
2: The game doesn't make it. Okay, I'm, a, I'm with all,
1: you. I like it. All of them, re- real nice wins. Uh, let's, uh, let, let's go to Jimmy in Forest City, our good friend. He says, uh, dear Andy, the big 10 will have three teams in the top seven this year, but the commissioner is probably unhappy with the two college football playoff losses. Penn state really shined in the Rose bowl and got the big 10 to five and four bowl season record, which by the way, as an aside, I don't think anyone really cares about that. But here here's the kicker. Jimmy says, I feel like Penn State is the best team in the Big Ten right now. What do you think? No, 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 no,
2: no, 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 They are not the best team in the Big Ten right now. And I don't think the Big Ten commissioner is unhappy that it's not ideal that both teams lost, but getting two teams to the 14 college football playoff is a big deal for the Big Ten. And I, I, don't, I don't think Penn State is anywhere near the best team in the Big Ten. Quarterback position, wide receiver position, offensive line. At those positions between Michigan and Ohio State, they're either equal or in the same boat or significantly better at this moment. And I, I'd say they're on par everywhere else. You know, I, I, I'd say third is the right spot for them looking to, you know, maybe punch its ticket to a second spot somehow. But at the top of the heap, I, I really don't think it's – I don't think they're there.
1: Sorry. I don't
2: mean to be a negative Nelly. <laughs> um,
1: no, I, I don't think it's a negative Nelly. And, and with this question, you know, as a famous NFL coach once said, you are what your record says you are. And Penn State is a two-loss Big Ten team. And those two losses came to Michigan and Ohio State. Do I think Penn State is a better team now than they were at the start of the season or when they lost to Michigan? Yes, I do. And I thought you made a good point earlier in the show, Andy, when you said Penn State, you could argue, was the better team for three and a half quarters when they played Ohio State. The problem is the game is four quarters long. Right.
3: Right. so.
1: Now, if you want to look into next season, I think this is Penn State's best chance, perhaps in the James Franklin era, to say, yeah, they are better. The mountain to climb, though, is so high because Michigan and Ohio State will again be considered two top five teams in the country. That's the mountain you got to climb, and it's a steep one. We'll see if Penn State is able to do it. Stick around for quarter number four. We're gonna talk more about James Franklin and Andy's gonna name a winner. Stay tuned.
3: Hey guys, this is Andrew from 409 Tailgate Club here to talk to you about our new coffee barbecue dry rub set. Over the years, we've developed some great tailgate sauces and barbecue dry rubs, but our new coffee rubs are totally unique spice blends, low in sodium and feature Happy Valley's finest coffee, W.C. Clark's roasted right in the cheese shop in downtown State College. So head on over to 409tailgateclub.com, grab yourself some coffee rubs, and remember, always tailgate with honor. We are.
4: Hi, this is Dustin Hockensmith from the Keystone Sports Network. For the best Penn State football analysis and commentary, go to keystonesportsnetwork.com. The rest of the KSN team and I will bring you game reviews, player evaluation, recruiting news, and plenty more. You may even hear directly from some of your favorite recruits. That's KeystoneSportsNetwork.com. You can also take Keystone Sports Network with you. Go to your app store and download Keystone Sports for your mobile device. For Penn State football news 52 weeks a year, count on the Keystone Sports Network.
1: StateCollege.com is your one-stop source for news, sports, opinion, entertainment, and community events. Over a decade of experience covering the Nittany Lions from reporter Ben Jones lively commentary from columnist Mike Porman and others. Local perspective, local expertise, local information from Penn State's hometown website, statecollege.com. Trust statecollege.com for daily coverage of the school, team, and place you love.
5: What defines the special spirit of Penn State? Why Penn State, by author Greg Woodman, looks to Happy Valley in the 1980s for answers. Featuring rare photos, original essays, and exclusive interviews with Coach Paterno, this beautiful 256-page full-color hardback edition explores the why behind We Are. It's chicken soup for the Nittany Lion soul and makes the perfect gift for any Penn Stater in your life, including you. Order today at whypennstate.com. We head to the home stretch in quarter number four on the
0: Keystone Kickoff Show. Brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at keystonesportsnetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone.
1: Welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. I'm Jim Galante along with Andy Shea. Andy, we had our Ask Andy segment. It looks like you survived it. No major injuries after everybody was taking shots at you. Do you have a winner? It is Joe and Scranton. Eloquently slapped me around on the
2: Christian Hackenberg, Drew Aller thing. I I I will admit, I am like, I'm kind of surprised that it was that much of a lightning rod because I was like Oh, yeah, they were kind of the same recruit, and, and I haven't seen enough yet. I thought my argument was eloquent, and I made a decent point, and clearly I'm an idiot. So, And for Penn State fans, yeah. and for Penn State, I think it's closer to me being an idiot than not.
1: No, you're not an idiot, and you presented your case eloquently, Andy. The fact is you were just wrong. That's all. Okay. That was yeah. the only problem with the points that you, you tried to make. Let's get to quarter number four. And by the way, Joe, we'll be getting in touch with you. Uh, get your mailing address so we could send you the 409 tailgate uh, prize. Okay. Andy, with all of this going on with Penn State, the last couple of years, obviously they were down years. The arrow was pointed down. If there were any other team in the country that had back-to-back seasons where overall they were 500, we would take that as a trend. We know what direction they're going. But as Penn State fans, we were thinking, we were hoping that those two years were an outlier. Penn State did come back, 11-win season, Rose Bowl win, reestablished themselves as a top 10 team. So I thought this would be a good time to take a look at James Franklin's tenure here at Penn State, he's a bit... You were saying you were a lightning rod. James Franklin is always a lightning rod among Penn State fans. There are some fans who just will not give him the benefit of the doubt. My question is, overall, looking at the James Franklin tenure, how good a coach is James Franklin? And how good has he made this program? So,
2: I think he is... I think he's an elite college football CEO. I think he's a. Uh, I think he's a good college football coach. I think he recognizes who has talent at the assisting coaching positions and what he's looking for. I think he does that very well. He, you are measured by your success. Nine years, one Big Ten championship. Is that success? I I don't know. Um I I can't sort of think whether or not as you know from a fan's perspective and is that successful? I, I think it's fairly successful with backed up by you know double digit win seasons and New Year's six bowl game appearances slash wins and all of that kind of stuff. But I think you to me, 2022. It was a, it was a little bit, you know, uncomfortable in his kitchen, is a way I will put it. After with the narrative coming into this season, you know, below five hundred against the Big Ten opponents, a a, a five hundred record overall, you know, fell off a cliff in two thousand twenty one after starting five and zero. It was a lot. How do you respond? What do you do to respond in that tough moment? This is response number one. You need to validate, right? Like one losing season is not what you market on. But when they followed up in 2021 after the COVID year with another struggling, you know, particularly to the finish where it was just, it just looked awful as well. That's a validation that they're going in the wrong direction. So this is a huge step in the right direction as a program. He's done this before validate and take another step forward. They've got that Michigan and Ohio state thing in the big 10 East, but they're close again, right? They've been here once before heading into 2019 where they were close. You know, they had components and close new starting quarterback. You know, you go back that far and they were close, but they didn't quite penetrate that Michigan, Ohio state, Sort of bubble, particularly Ohio State. So, can they penetrate that bubble? That's part of the next step. You know, eight and four, seven and five, but beating one of those is not a next step. You got to validate it at a higher level. And you got to validate it again, comes back to Michigan and Ohio State. You want to win games, but you want to win the big games most of all. And that has been a difficult
1: prospect for James at Penn State. Andy, let me let me do my support for James Franklin, and I think in some ways, um, what you just talked about, in some ways, it's damning with faint praise. And I'll tell you what I mean. He he's a great CEO, a great chief executive. And Fantastic. What what people be- mean by that is he's not a good X's and O's guy. He's not a good game day coach which I, I believe is a little bit of an unfair accusation at him. The other part to this is in doing this segment, I, I looked at the whole uh, James Franklin at Penn State resume, and you may call this cherry picking, but I think it's fair to take those first two seasons, which were the sanction years, and throw them out. I know a lot of people will argue that for the COVID year. The COVID year, I'm not throwing out, which a lot of people want to do. Everybody had to deal with it. Not everybody had to deal with the sanctions that Penn State did. And one could even argue that those seven and six seasons were his best coaching job because of the lack of talent that was coming in. But as far as his overall record, I think you have to set that aside. His overall record... Taking out the sanction years is sixty-four and twenty-four, which puts him at a seventy-three percent winning rate. Yeah, Joe, you know what Joe Paterno's winning percentage was? Seventy-five percent.
2: Yeah, so there you go.
1: Pretty, pretty close. I think the other part to this again, you mentioned the one Big Ten championship in nine years. Again, I'll call it one in seven years because I'm not going to count the sanction years. The other part to this is how many teams win conference titles over Alabama and now Georgia, right? LSU and Auburn and Florida and all of those, Tennessee, all of those teams in the Southeast Conference. It's so difficult because they have Alabama in front of you. If you put Penn State, I know hypothetical is not the case, but if they were Pac-12, Big 12, ACC, they probably have more conference championships. So in the overall scheme of things, I think it's better to judge them where they finish overall in the rankings. And in this last seven years, they have had four, four top 10 teams. And the other part where I'll go back to my argument about the coaching on game day and X's and O's is, again, James Franklin damned with faint praise. Oh, he's a good recruiter. Well, I do think he is a good recruiter, but in his whole time at Penn State, you know how many top 10 recruiting classes he's had, Andy? Two. Two, two. exactly. Yeah, Only two. You know four. how many Ohio State has had? Oh, <laughs> Ohio like State is a top five recruiting class every single year. Yeah, and absolutely. So Penn, Penn State is going into those games with Ohio State at a disadvantage. So – I'm going to give, I think, James Franklin more credit, and I'll throw in all the other stuff. You don't hear about his players getting in trouble. They represent the university very well. The emphasis on academics is there. I think he does so many good things for this university. Is he perfect? No. But I don't think he gets the credit he deserves, Andy. So
2: I would... I I agree with you that sometimes he doesn't get the credit he deserves because of the narrative of he's a great recruiter and he's not a good game day coach. The way I would characterize it and I have a couple things to say about this. I actually think he's a really good college football coach in terms of how he runs his practice, player development, how he has his relation, how he establishes relationships with players. That all matters too. My, I have just seen from my what I my perspective in watching that the game day situation is not his is not a strength compared to the other stuff right compared to the other stuff game day is not a strength but I I did see and even a little bit last year in 2021 and a little more in 2022 he's turning the tide a little bit that I can see in the way I watch college uh, football and and the way a coach operates his team, I can see some some movement on that front with him that is in the right direction. I see some things that I'm like, you know what? You know, it's just not a quote unquote clear and identifiable strength. But in terms of, you know, everything else, I, I just think he's he's exceptional. But on the flip side, it's the it's the big game thing, right? Your ultimate measuring stick is. Can you win? Yes. Does he have a great winning percentage? Yes. It's those games, those big ones. The he's one and eight against Ohio State, and he's three and six against Michigan. And you talk about well, it's against Alabama and Georgia, right? Do you, you don't think you know LSU measures itself against how they do against Alabama? Of course they do. It's those games, and well, if he was in the Pac-12 or if he was in the Big Twelve or even the ACC, well. If they were in the Big 10 West would they have a better chance of being on a more on a, another level elite maybe but during his tenure they're 18 and 9 against Big 10 West teams that's not exactly that's not 73% that's like just over a third of their you know a third and so 18 and 9 isn't outstanding against the West would they In certain years, would they be a better representative of the Big Ten West? Yeah, I could think of two or three years where they would have been a way better representative than anything that was brought to the Big Ten West to the Big Ten championship game. So it's still, unfortunately, for Penn State and
1: James Franklin, it's about Michigan and Ohio State. I hate that, but it is. it, it is about those teams, but I will also, and I'll finish with this and give James Franklin credit for this. He can identify areas that need improvement. Yes. He has had issues on his coaching staff. I believe he now has the coaching staff in place. He has never had the elite quarterback. That appears, hopefully, fingers crossed, that's been corrected also. When fans, and I'm included among them, get tired of his harping on NIL and more money going into the program for this and that. Those are areas that he's looking to improve the product and make Penn State a better team. We'll see how successful he is. All right, Andy, that is it for the show. Thank you all for listening. Make sure you join us next time on the Keystone Kickoff Show. for daily coverage of the school, team, and place you love.
5: What defines the special spirit of Penn State? Why Penn State, by author Greg Woodman, looks to Happy Valley in the 1980s for answers. Featuring rare photos, original essays, and exclusive interviews with Coach Paterno, this beautiful 256-page full-color hardback edition explores the why behind we are. It's chicken soup for the Nittany Lions' soul and makes the perfect gift for any Penn Stater in your life, including you. Order today at whypennstate.com.